This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, all right then. Uh, the choir really uh, just gave us a tremendous reminder in two different songs about the trusting relationship we can have with God, that, uh, that vertical relationship on our life that is so enriching. And when you know that you know, that you know, that you know, <laughs> that your sins are forgiven. Uh, there is a joy and a happiness and a trust there that is foundational. I hope you know that today. Yet, as wonderful as that is, we also need strong relationships with each other. Now, think about the most significant trusting relationship you have or you ever had in your life. What was that, or what is that relationship like? It might be with a spouse or a significant other. It it might be with a deep friend. Chances are that that relationship was forged through some difficult waters. It probably took a while. But you have this relationship of complete trust and confidence in one another. Now, what are the characteristics that build that kind of trusting relationship? Just call out some words for me. What are the adjectives that make that relationship so trustworthy? Honesty. Reliable. Fun. Respect. Love. Privacy, sense of confidentiality, integrity, endurance. So these are the kind of characteristics that we need in our relationships with a few significant people in our life. Complete, total trust. And if we have that, oh my goodness, and we have that with God, no matter what happens to us, life flourishes, we're going to be okay. But if we don't have that, um, you know, our joy of the Lord can be diminished and we can lack the grounding that we need in our life. So today what we're going to do as we talk about the five T's of transformation, today we're focusing on trust. We're going to look at the, one of the most prevalent relationships in the Bible of trust and friendship between David and Jonathan. And we're going to look at how that their relationship began, how that it was forged through testing, and how that they learned to rely upon each other and God in building that relationship. And then we're going to talk about some of the ways in which we have opportunity to do that today in our own lives. And we're going to look at Scripture together from 1 Samuel, excerpts of Scripture from 1 Samuel chapter 18 through 20. And as we do this, I invite you to follow along in the Bible on the screen or in your own pew Bible as I'm going to read from the NLT today. And we're going to pick up the story from the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel where David has just killed Goliath. And Goliath is the great giant of the Philistines, the arch enemy of Israel. And uh, so David is a hero and uh, Saul, the king of Israel, has invited David to the palace. And Jonathan is Saul's son. Remember, Saul is the first king of Israel. David becomes the second king after Saul's death. 
So after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond of love between them, and they became the best of friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend, and he sealed the pact by giving him his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So David is the rock star. He's the Kim Kardashian of his day, if you will. As Kim Kardashian has elevated through the ability to make six-second videos, I'm in the wrong business here, and she can make millions and millions of dollars with no talent, but I guess, I guess looks. Uh, David has this meteoric rise. You can take her off the screen now, guys. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> David has this meteoric rise in popularity. And the maidens of Israel, when David and Saul come back from battle, they get their tambourines out and they sing this song that Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul becomes horrifically jealous of David and puts a strain on the relationship. And we pick up the story in the 19th chapter. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his close friendship with David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. Uh, I'll ask my father to go out there with me, and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. Please don't sin against David, Jonathan pleaded. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time you risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There is no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan. And vowed, as surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he took David to see Saul, and everything was as it had been before. So things were fine for a while. You know, what Jonathan does for David is that he sticks his neck out for him. It's what people say to you to your face is one thing. Or what people say about you when you're in the room is one thing. But what people say about you when you are not in the room is quite another. And Jonathan commends David to his father and reminds him of his great attributes, of his trustworthiness, of his success, and his honesty. You know, uh, trust is so important. 
and to have a trusting relationship and to be able to, to have a friend that speaks well of you when you're not in the room to power people of influence. That, that's gold. But the other side of it is we have to be trustworthy. We have to be a person of character that warrants that kind of trust. One of the most difficult and challenging positions I've ever had in life was when I served as a district superintendent, the liaison between the bishop and local pastors and churches. I was in that position for five years, three months, one day, and 27 minutes. <laughs> when the phone rings, it's usually not good news. But the most difficult thing about the job is you're sitting there at the cabinet with the bishop and your colleagues. And you're talking about pastors. You're talking about people that you've known 10, 20, 30 years. And the bishop, in this case, a woman, she turns to you and she says, tell me what you know about this person. And she does this to anybody that has history with them. And how difficult and excruciating it is sometimes to say, Bishop, may I have a sidebar conversation with you? Because I don't want to defame the person in front of my colleagues, but I have to be honest with the person who was weighing some very difficult decisions. And how wonderful it is to be able to say when, when someone in authority or power like the bishop says to you, Bob, what do you think of this person? Whatever this person says or whatever this person does, you can take it to the bank. This person is absolutely trustworthy and here are their, here are their gifts and their abilities. Character matters. Character counts. And character is something we can't give to anybody else. So it's something that we have to, to, to aspire to and grow in. And when we have disappointed ourselves, we got to find a way with God's help and the help of other people to get it back. I grew up in the country. There was a farmer by the name of Tut Jones. You can't make this stuff up. Tut Jones. And he was an old guy, and he would wax these little stories. And he would tell me 50 years ago as a boy, he'd say, you know, there's two thieves that broke into the Omaha store. The Omaha store is just a little village just a few miles from us. And they broke into the store, and one thief caught the other thief taking his loot and putting it in his pile. And the thief says to the other thief, if I'd have known you were a thief, I'd have never associated with you in the first place. <laughs> Sometimes we are blinded by our own lapses of character. But one thing about character is, unlike personalities, opposites don't attract. People of the same character tend to migrate toward one another. And so the things that you aspire to, the things that you admire in somebody else, is probably true of you. Is it worthy of you? Is it worthy of them? And are you hanging out with somebody that's bringing you down? What do you do about that? Now, in the case of Saul, unfortunately, Saul doesn't keep his promise. He gets angry again. His jealousy gets the best of him. Spirit torments him. And one night while David is playing the harp in front of Saul, Saul, in rage, takes a spear and throws it at David to take his life. And David dodges, and then he runs out into the night to Ramah. And we pick the story up again 
in the 20th chapter of 1 Samuel. Now David fled from Naath in Ramah and found Jonathan. What have I done, he exclaimed. What is my crime? How have I offended your father that he is so determined to kill me? That's not true, Jonathan protested. I'm sure he's not planning any such thing, for he always tells me everything he's going to do, even the little things. I know he wouldn't hide something like this from me if it isn't so. Then David took an oath before Jonathan and said, Your father knows perfectly well about our friendship. So he has said to himself, I won't tell Jonathan. Why should I hurt him? But I swear to you that I am only a step away from death. I swear it by the Lord and by your own soul. And tell me what I can do, Jonathan says. And David said, replies, tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. I've always eaten with your father on this occasion, but tomorrow I'll hide in the field and stay there until the evening of the third day. If your father asks where I am, tell him I ask permission to go to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. If he says, fine, then you will know all is well. But if he is angry and loses his temper, then you will know that he was planning to kill me. Show me this kindness as my sworn friend, for we made a covenant together before the Lord. Or kill me yourself if I have sinned against your father, but please don't betray me to him. Never, Jonathan exclaimed. You know that if I had the slightest notion my father was planning to kill you, I would tell you at once. Well, so what happens is Jonathan confronts his father once more, sticks his neck out before, da uh, before Saul once more on behalf of his, bro of his friend David. And Saul not only says he's, yes, he's out to kill David, but he threatens his own son, Jonathan, as well. And in this dialogue, this dramatic story that we've just read together, for Jonathan and David to become the kind of trustworthy friends that they, they are, they have to overcome some things. Now, what Jonathan has to overcome is he has to overcome his loyalty and his tie to his father in this sense. He's got to see his father for who he is. You know, one of the most difficult things in life is when a family member disappoints us. Not just once, but repeatedly. It might be a parent, it might be a child, it might be a spouse, it might be a friend. But a person violates the trust time and time again. And Jonathan has to see his father for who he is. And he has to choose that sometimes blood is not thicker than water. He still loves his father. Sometimes the most difficult thing that you've faced or may face is when someone repeatedly violates your trust. We live in a troubled time and we, we live in a community where many, many people uh, are in difficult situations. And heroin is rampant, and domestic violence has been a real issue and a problem in Greene County for decades. 
And we have to kind of name that for what it is. And so when one person is being abused by another, spouse, parent, child, sometimes you have to lock the doors. Sometimes you have to change the locks. Sometimes the person has to move out. Sometimes you have to move out. And it's hard. It's hard. But you have a Jonathan in your life that will see you through it. That's the difference. And that's how we cope. And that's how we survive. And that's how we get well again. And John, you know, David has to also do something too. David has to put himself fully in the hands of Jonathan. You know, you got to trust somebody. <laughs> and Jonathan is in the situation where he has no choice. He, David is in a situation where he has no choice. He has to do this. And, but as he pleads for Jonathan's help, he makes that plea, don't betray me. Don't betray me. And no matter how many times maybe you have been hurt or how many times you've been betrayed by another person, there are other people in your life that you can come to trust. We choose carefully and wisely, but we really do need a Jonathan. We all do. Well, what happens is uh, they devise a scheme that a boy shoots arrows and based on how long the arrows go and how far the boy goes to get the arrows, it's a signal from Jonathan to David that, yes, Saul is out to get you. And we read these final words as they bid farewell from each other. That as soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. And the relationship that they have and the oath that they take before God is more than just swearing an oath to God. It's bringing God into that relationships. It's letting God build that trust between these two men. And as rich and as deep and as wonderful as your relationship might be with someone that you trust, it can be so much better if you bring God into it. But, of course, both persons have to want this to happen. How sad it is sometimes when I hear these stories about couples that have been married together for years, and just at the end, they have this rich spiritual conversation with each other. And they say, this could have happened all along the way. Or a friendship. You know, guys, gals get this much better than we do. Guys. You got a brother in faith that you can say anything to and I'll love you anyway? You got that. You got, you got gold. You don't have that. You're missing it. You're missing it. Well, not long after this, Jonathan and Saul die 
on the battlefield. They die the same day. And David gets the word that Saul and Jonathan are dead. He writes this ballad, this song that appears in Scripture. How the mighty have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead upon the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women. And David keeps his word to Jonathan. Because later, as the king of Israel, when Jonathan's children and children's children are in need, David steps up and cares for his friend's kids. They have this relationship. They have this trust. They have this friendship. That's everything. How do we have those kind of relationships? How are those relationships forged? I want to show you uh, a diagram here of Henry Clouds. Henry Cloud is a Christian psychologist and author. <clears throat> and he's put together what to me makes a lot of sense, that X represents you, represents me. And when life happens, when we go through difficult times, when we're feeling the pressure, it could just be everyday pressure. Do you find every day kind of hard to get through? <laughs> I do. Where do you go? What corner do you go to? You can go to the corner of isolation. Some people choose that corner. And we can just bury ourselves. We can isolate ourselves. We can separate ourselves from any significant relationships. And sometimes we can turn into uh, depression. Live Well is a, is a group of folks that's beginning tonight, and it's, they're, they're sh it's just needed for many of us not to get isolated as we go into the holidays or as we, we're struggling in, in some, some tough stuff. It's, it's a way you don't have to go to that, but that may be one option. But you've you got to seek out something, someone, not to isolate yourself. Sometimes people get suicidal because they've gone to isolation. Some of us go to the banana room. What's the banana room? Well, Bill Hybels talks about his father who owned a company, and whenever he invited an employee to the banana room, that was not a good thing for the employee. And the boss would just rail at the employees, and he would go bananas. He would melt down. He would yell. He would implode. It was never a good thing to go to the banana room. <laughs> Sometimes, some of us go bananas. Some of us implode. Some of us have meltdowns. That's one corner that some people go to. Another corner is addictions. Addictions comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. But some of us find through addictions a way of helping to soften the pain for a little while. And, it, of course, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. But there's another corner. We can be connected. We can be connected to a few other people. We can be connected to a Jonathan in our life. We can be connected to a band of brothers or sisters. We, we need that. That's the only way to really feel healthy and be holy and, and to be grounded in our life is to have connection to a few really significant relationships built on absolute trust. Well, how does that happen? You know, uh, there's a lot of people in, in life and in our community that they just didn't have that. They didn't have trustworthy parents. You know, my mother is going to be 96 years old tomorrow. 
my, I am so thankful for my mother and my father. More all the time. So many people don't have the consistency that I had. Many people don't grow up with this. Many people don't have it. Sometimes we mess up. I want you to watch a video of a homeless woman that came to the food pantry, that came to the church in the center, and is now in a mentoring relationship with someone from Schweitzer. Let's watch. Well, uh, I've had a problem with drugs every, ever since I was 12, 13 years old. Um, I've been homeless three times. I've lived on the streets. And I was, a, I was a hardcore drug user. I, I injected uh, meth and morphine in the end and came about as close as you can to killing yourself. And that's truly what I was trying to do because I hated myself and I hated the life that I lived. And since I'd just gotten out of the hospital, I qualified for the emergency food bank came here and some two really sweet women uh, asked if I wanted prayer and I accepted that and I just felt at home even before they prayed for me just the environment in here and probably about two years ago that's when things changed and got real and um, that's probably when my life was flipped upside down and at that point that's the first time I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me was happy about what he said but that was when it was became personal. Like I heard God talking to me and it became real. That's probably when my true walk with Christ began. After the meeting and I decided to commit to it, I kind of thought about which way do I want to go with this? Do I want to do the fake Christian thing and pretend to be somebody that I'm not? And, uh, or do I want to be totally real and lay it all out there? And I thought, well, if I want my life to change, I have to be totally honest with her. And I thought I was going to blow her away. And she didn't even bat an eye. <laughs> she didn't. <laughs> she could relate. My mother and father were both addicts, so just kind of near and dear to my heart. So I felt called to get closer to that. And then um, my husband and I had gone through counseling for about two years. And at that point, I just kind of realized process was still the same so I just kind of wanted to take the tools that I used for like daily life how to keep your life on track and hopefully help someone else with the tools that I learned. I, I just enjoy my time with Ashley immensely. Uh, I feel like we were uh, joined by God. You couldn't have made a better, a better couple for this I don't think. And so I really enjoy my fellowship with her. And um, when we follow up on, on my daily scripture, uh, she gets just as excited about what I've learned as, as I do. Yes, we go through the list of things that have to be done, but, and, and you know, it's to keep her on track, but it's also kind of keeping me on track with how to keep my life in tune with God and how to make sure I'm making time for God and doing those dailies and just seeing how God is changing her, using her struggle, you know, it's just to do something good. There are things that I would have never have thought of, but if it wasn't for her struggle, I wouldn't have seen, I wouldn't have seen that or see the need for those kinds of things. It's pretty awesome. Not only are you getting to help others, but it's helping you, honestly, in the long run.
run, and it's amazing how how it changes you. What do you have to lose? You, you. I mean, it's named appropriately. Your life will change. So if you're someone that uh, would like to be a part of a mentoring relationship like this with a life change plan, you can contact Mark McNelly. It's a relationship where a mentor, someone being mentored, uh, the kind of relationship of trust that Michelle and Ashley have with each other. You know, we can't force these kind of things to happen, but what we're wanting to do at Switzer is build a culture where these things can happen. One of the things that's happening kind of quietly is these intergenerational conversations and relationships where someone of an older generation meets up with a person of a younger generation. And, and uh, if you're a younger adult especially, we just, just talk to us and seek that out, and we'll help that to, to happen. It's not just one person, the older person, having all the wisdom for the younger person, but that relationship can really forge into something that is rich that God can use for a season in our lives. Another thing that uh, we, we strive for is to really encourage uh, bands, uh, a band of brothers or a band of sisters. And what's, what's a band? Well, you know, in the old Methodist movement in the, in the 19th century, when the Methodist movement was going, 18th century, the Methodist movement was started in England, the muscle of the Methodist movement was a band of four or five people that met together every week and they watched over one another in love and they talked about their challenges. They, they confronted each other, they loved each other, they prayed for each other. I have a group of three other guys that meet in my home every Monday morning at 7 o'clock, and for, for 90 minutes we, we drink some coffee and we give each other a hard time. Then we get serious, we talk about life, real struggles, and uh, we pray for each other. And uh, that's one of the most enriching things that I can do. I've asked every full-time member of staff to be a part of a band of people of their same gender, that they meet up with each other and they do this. And there's people that are doing this in church here at Schweitzer for years. They're called reunion groups or other, other groups. But a band of four or five people. You know, women get this. But men, we don't get it. And I, I encourage you, men or women, do you have a band of people that you can meet up with? Jake Hotchkiss, our young adult director, is the first person to contact about this if you're interested in either having an intergenerational relationship with someone or if you are interested in being a part of a band. But you can talk to any member of the staff and we'll be glad to share you our story and help that to happen. Well, let's go to that diagram one more time of Henry Clouds. Think about David's life and what happened to him without Jonathan. You know what happened to him? He missed him. I wonder what would have happened if Jonathan hadn't died or he had another Jonathan in his life. Would he, would he not have messed up with Bathsheba? Would he not have entered into an adulterous affair? Would he not have killed Bathsheba's husband, Uriah? Would, would he had have fallen out with Absalom, his son? Would, would his family dynamics have been better? If someone in David's life who was a man after God's own heart could have kept him grounded and rooted in relationship. Do you see how David needed this? Do you see how all of us need this? So here you are. Where do you go? Which corner do you go to? Do you go to isolation? Do you go to banana room? Do you go into addictions? Or do you get connected? 
and stay connected with a band of brothers or sisters that change your life. Where are you? Which corner do you find yourself in right now? And what are you going to do about it?